the bright and morning star. You are the lion and the lamb. You are my Lord. You the bright and morning star. Everyone, let's go. You are the bright and morning. You are the lion and the lamb. The lion and the lamb. You are my Lord. You are my Lord. You are the only hope we have. Let's go. You are the only You will return to take your bride. One more time, you are the bright and morning star. The bright and morning. You are the lion and the lamb. You are my Lord. You are my Lord. The only hope we have. You will return. We're gonna sing it like this. We'll sing. Weva shilala palini shibitwa pakakala lesawadi. Oh, ine nalipiti mwa nasubina. Everyone, let's go.
Just whisper and sing. Okay. Now, I mentioned... Now, ministering to the Lord is simply... It's serving and meeting God's needs for fellowship, right? Because he's always wanted us to fellowship with him. And I mentioned seven ways in which we can do that. And there are many more, but I mentioned seven. What's the first one I mentioned? Shouting. Shouting. <laughs> okay. What's the second one I mentioned? Dancing. Praise God. Uh -huh. What's the third one I mentioned? Lifting up hands. What's the fourth one I mentioned? Giving. What's the fifth one? Laying with your face down, prostrate. What's the sixth one? Kneeling. What's the seventh one? Singing. Praise God. So now, this morning, I'm going to talk about the benefits of ministering to the Lord. I'll talk about the benefits of ministering to the Lord. And so this evening, I'm going to take you through the benefits of ministering to the Lord. Number one, ministering to the Lord helps you to reap the rewards of obedience. I'll explain that. It helps you reap the rewards of obedience. Let me give you an example of something that also helps you reap the reward of obedience. Fasting. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I've heard many teachings on the benefits of fasting. People include benefits to your health. Uh, people talk about how this happens to your human spirit, or this happens to this, or this happens to this. And I'll be very honest with you. Some of the benefits mentioned sometimes are more from someone's personal view. Some of them you can see how it harmonizes with the scriptures, right? For some of them you don't know where it just came from. But can I tell you the biggest reason why you must fast? Because Jesus said, when you fast. You know, we, we need to come to a place where there are certain things we do because we have to obey God. He said, when you fast. So meaning, it's normal for a believer to set aside times of fasting. And then from the scriptures, we can see moments when people set aside time for fasting. In Acts 13, when, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, we're not even told why. So it was a custom 
they would have times to, to pray. They would also just have times to fast. For Daniel, we are told why. But I hope you're getting my point. Because if it's only planted in your head that you fast because you're in a crisis, with this glory to glory you're going into, what if you're never in a crisis? I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> you, you have to come to a place where you realize that there are certain things that you experience benefits simply because you've obeyed. And some of the benefits, we might not even know them. Because some of the benefits might be different among different people. So let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He told us what it is. The greatest command is not a mystery. It's not a mystery. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus said to him, it's so simple. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Next verse. This is the first and great commandment. It's not a mystery. Biblically, it's not a mystery that the first thing you're supposed to do is have a passionate love for God, and the second thing you're supposed to do is have a passionate love for God's people. And Jesus said that summarizes the law. It's not a mystery that you're supposed to passionately love God. And this command, if you can obey it, you reap the benefits. Let me just show you a certain scripture. Take me to John chapter 14. I want to show you something. John chapter number 14. <laughs> okay. John chapter 14, verse 16. I want you to see something that perhaps sometimes we don't really see. Okay? Look at this. The Bible says, I will ask the Father or I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So it says, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. I want you to watch this. Uh-huh. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So I want you to see something. For every believer, this promise is certain. Every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Every believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there is a part that is conditional. Are you ready for the conditional part? Let's go on. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Uh -huh. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Uh -huh. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. That equation, I've still failed to understand it. Let's go. Now, look at this. This goes further than just the indwelling of the Spirit. It says, he who has my commandments, remember one of his great commandments is to love him, and keeps them. It is he who loves me. Does God love everyone? Yes, but look at this verse. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. It's not talking about was loved. It's not talking about the love that brought salvation. This has to do with intimacy. Look at that. It says, he who loves me will be loved by my father. It's a future tense. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
that shows you this person will be a candidate for greater encounters with the Lord. This person will be a candidate for seeing more of Jesus, even in the scriptures. They'll be a candidate for greater revelation because God would have seen this person loves me. And remember, in a relationship, once a person begins to see love, what do they do? They open up more. So I'm telling you, if you minister to, Lord, to the Lord, you get to reap the benefits of obedience. The benefits of having a, a heart that's set on loving God. And we know one of the primary ways of expressing this is through the, the, the things that I've mentioned. It's through ministering to the Lord. So you want to experience more of Jesus, minister to him. You want to experience more of his manifest presence, minister to him. There are people who are struggling with their spiritual walk because they think Christianity is a behavioral change program. It's not. It's beyond that. It's an entire life with God. I'm talking about life with God. I'm talking about you, you coming to Mount Zion. You coming to the city of the living God. You coming to an innumerable number of angels. It's way beyond that. Praise the Lord. So number one, you get to reap the rewards of obedience. And I've just shown you. One of the rewards of obedience is that he manifests himself to you. There is an intimacy you experience that's not common for everyone. You know what happens when you're intimate with someone? There are some things that won't happen without your knowledge. Can you imagine? God was intimate with Abraham and he's about to, you know, he's got petrol and kerosene and he's on his way to Sodom and he says, wait, shall I hide from Abraham what I want to do? They had relationships. Do you remember when Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses? Do you remember what happened? That should be Numbers 12, right? Do you remember how it was that God came and said, when there's a prophet among you, I reveal myself to him in dreams, I reveal myself to him in visions. But that is not so with my servant Moses, who is faithful in all my house, and he gets to behold my form. In short, God was saying, Moses is more than a prophet. This guy is my friend. And he says, well, you're not afraid to speak against him. Praise God. Somebody say, ministering to the Lord has benefits. Now, another benefit of ministering to the Lord, I'll go through them quickly. Some I'll be quick, some I'll take my time. Another one is breakthrough. It brings about divine victories. It manifests divine victories in the earthly realm. And we can see an example of this in Second Chronicles chapter number 20. How many of you have read where it says uh, the battle is not yours but it's for the Lord? How many of you have read that portion of scripture? It's in this same portion of scripture, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Um, maybe let's start from verse 15. Now what happened is this. The Israelites were outnumbered. The Israelites were not going to manage to defeat these people. So when they had consulted the Lord, this person called Jehoshaphat, this person, um, it wasn't Jehoshaphat who spoke. Give me the verse before. Jehaziel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. The son of Benaniah, the one who was writing this, just really loved history. 
Okay, next verse. <laughs> and then he says, listen, all you of you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Now, allow me just to mention something about this scripture though. Because I've heard some people use this scripture to, uh, to state that we should not do any form of spiritual warfare. Uh, that would be a little ignorant of you because there are some battles they had to fight and then there are some battles they didn't have to fight. Like, let's, let, let's read the Bible in context. There's somewhere God actively told them, get a sword and go kill. There are some, then this one, he says, this one, don't do anything. Like, let's just be very contextual with scriptures, okay? But nevertheless, they were overwhelmed and God sent a prophetic word. Believing that prophetic word in itself was an act of spiritual warfare. Verse 20, what does it say? Now, this is the king talking to the people, right? One of our favorite scriptures. The king stood and said, look guys, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. In short, he's trying to say, the prophet has spoken that this battle is not ours. So let's not be dismayed. Let's believe God will be established. Let's believe the prophets will prosper. But it didn't end there. He gave an instruction afterwards. Look at the instruction. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So imagine this. There are great people who are coming to attack them. Then an instruction has come that they should believe the Lord for them to be established. What's the easiest way of believing the Lord? They decided to sing. But then when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes. When were the ambushes set? When they began to sing and to praise. Didn't that remind you of Paul and Silas? Something happened when they were praising and worshipping God. We can't ignore, like I said, ideally we do not praise and worship primarily because we want to fight and because we want to do warfare and the like. But we can't ignore that it's got a benefit. We can't ignore its benefits in us manifesting our God-given victory. When they began to praise and worship God, the Bible tells us all doors were opened. So ministering to the Lord has benefits. I remember one time, I think it was, it was about two years ago, we were about to have a conference, a WEM conference, and there's having no money, and then there's what we had. It was a situation, I tell you. When I tell you it was a situation, I mean it was a situation. And people had never been excited about a conference like that one. They were so excited, they were just not giving, but they were so excited about it. They were all promising to come, just not giving, but they were all really promising to be there. Uh, and sending us videos and photos and telling us how they are looking forward. We're just waiting for one of them to just, because you know, that conference would have been sorted if a hundred people had just given a hundred quarter nothing. And so we're there. And people just started having strange dreams about me and the conferences. People were dreaming I'm dying. If people's dreams used to come true, the number of things that would have happened to me in this life. <laughs> anyway, everyone's just sending you dreams that you're dying. Uh, people were sending me, someone sent me a dream. They were so scared, you know. 
as, as, a, as a watchman and they send me a dream. No, ah, what's going to happen in this conference? Ah, things won't work out because what I saw, I saw that there were witches who had said to attack you and uh, what was going to happen is that there will be no seats. I think those who work with me in Wemo remember what I did that conference. Immediately that dream came, got the phone, called someone to increase the seats. Because I'm not going to take the devil's opinion. In the midst of all that, there was somebody else who had a dream which they never understood. In the dream, there were many people coming to fight me and I got my guitar and I said, hitting them. And I knew what it meant. I knew the solution was ministering to the Lord. I got the guitar. I just began, tan, tan, tan. Every night, you are marvelousie. And I, would, I remember I would sing songs over the conference. I would, I would sing things like... Um, how, how, does the first, how, how does the first part go? I would sing about how he has provided and how he's so supernatural. He provided for the meeting and all those things. And before we knew it, everything just started working out and working out and working out. Praise the Lord. So I'll tell you something. If there's ever a moment you, you feel overwhelmed, sing what the Bible calls songs of deliverance. Woo sing about what the Lord has done. Minister to the Lord about how great he is. He's got no choice but to live up to his name. Praise the Lord. I believe that it is unwise to have any prayer session where you've not ministered to the Lord. I believe that's very unwise. Let me tell you why I say so. When Jesus taught us the way of praying, he tells us, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Can you imagine you meet a person, you don't greet them? How, how do they feel? Isn't it good courtesy that when you meet someone, you ask, how are you? Now, the thing is this, with God, you can't ask him how he is because he doesn't change. So instead of asking how are you, you tell him who he is. You say, that, that, for me, I, I see it like that. It's like our way of greeting God. When you meet him, you say, you are, you are, you are. You don't ask him how are you. You tell him you are. You are mighty. You are great. You are marvelous. You are awesome. Before we even reach the needs, before, can you imagine when Jesus was telling us how to pray, before a person even reaches forgiveness of sin, they should have already told God how great he is. They should have already hallowed his name. They should have hallowed his name. Somebody say glory to God. So they have, our victories are enforced when we minister to the Lord. Number three, ministering to the Lord renews your strength. In Isaiah 40 verse 31, we are told, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If you look at the word there for wait, it, it's synonymous with the word for fellowship. And we do know that ministering to the Lord is one of the ways of fellowship. From a personal view, in moments when I have felt overwhelmed, moments where you feel a, a, a little down, what happens when you minister to the Lord? It's, I mean, it's, 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 you're exposed before him. You're vulnerable before him. So minister to the Lord renews your strength. That's why it doesn't surprise me that the man who was after God's heart called David, the moment his son died, the first thing he did is went to the temple. He knew where the source of his strength was. What is the source of your strength? What's your, what's your place of default? When we say restore to factory settings, which one is yours? 
And now this is where the renewing of the mind comes in. Because you'll find before you were saved, you had things that you used to do if things go a certain way. There are people who, um, before an exam, oh God, help me with this exam. The results come out. To celebrate the results coming out, their place of celebration is not the temple of God. They'll go and chiliza. If you're getting my point. If something goes wrong, they'll go and chiliza. <laughs> what am I trying to say? This is where renewing of the mind comes in. Make a decision that your default place, your place of, your place of celebration, your place to come to if something is overwhelming, your, your place should always be God. It should always be God. Never change that. Somebody say glory. And the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Somebody say glory. <laughs> Let's go to the next point. Ministering to the Lord helps you to hear God. Acts chapter 13 verse 2. The Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. It's not a coincidence that they were all able to hear what the Spirit of God was saying. Because they were all ministering to the Lord. Most instructions, most divine instructions don't come when you're busy. They need some focus. They need some focus. How many of you would want to have an important conversation with someone while they're doing all sorts of things? You would want them to give you some attention. You want them to give you some focus. There are many things God has to say to us. And one of our ways of focusing directly on him is by ministering to him. As they ministered the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Go and start city of the Lord, church. <laughs> You're getting my point, huh? The majority of my prayer time is ministering to the Lord and praying in tongues. Those are the two things I do the most. Someone may be asking, why do you pray in tongues a lot? Have you seen how many people I'm pastoring? Do you think I can manage to mention their names one by one and know every situation about them? I would rather pray in the Spirit. You can't manage to have a number of people you don't pray in the Spirit. You can't. Because there are things you need to pray about which they've not opened up to you about. They are still debating in their heart. But I, I spend a lot of time ministering to the Lord. And for me, it helps me hear God. And I believe it's the same for you. It's easier to hear. <laughs> Do you know that's one of the reasons? Have you ever read the scriptures about husbands and wives arguing? Have you noticed what they are told? It goes on, if you read it in Peter, it says such your prayers may not be hindered. If you're in your home and you're arguing every day, you, you pray about what? How would you pray? It would be very difficult. Okay, let's not. That's why in such important and special relationships, you should have, by now, set a conflict resolution method. Saying this is how we sort out issues. Gives you an opportunity to be intimate with God. Let me show you something. There was a time when Paul was teaching against sexual morality, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And many people might struggle to understand. There are certain things you will not appreciate about Paul's teaching on this until you read the history of this. Um, give me verse 13 going down. 
It was usually about sexual morality. Now, what used to happen in the, in the city of Corinth is that the city of Corinth was a transit city. It was doing quite well, even financially. And there was, you know, there were various temples in these days. So, the religion that was mainly practiced there before the Apostle Paul went and preached had this temple. I've just forgotten the name of the God. And one of the ways of sacrificing to that God was they had what were called temple prostitutes. These are people that people go into the temple, pay money, and that money goes into the temple treasury, and when they pay that money, they, they're able to stick with those prostitutes. And in that culture, a person was required to at least once, a woman was required to at least once have worked as a temple prostitute, at least once. So it was a sacrifice. That's why Paul begins to talk about your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why he talked like that. So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16, Paul mentions something. Maybe, yeah, from verse 16. He's telling them about sexual morality because these guys were doing all sorts of things. They were using their body the way they're not supposed to. And then in verse 16, he tells them, do you know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one. Now, this is a law. It's a, it's a law that was set that the two are supposed to become one. So he's trying to say, do you know what? Do you know how you're confusing yourself? Next verse. But then he says something that's different. Uh, verse 17, you've skipped it. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Wait, that's interesting. And it's interesting how he suddenly switches the topic. He's talking about sexual sin, then he suddenly switches to, but he who is joined to the Lord. That also shows you something. Why the Bible emphasizes on sexual sin a lot is because practicing it has a major effect on your intimacy with God. A major one. That's why the biggest thing he warned them about was not even demons. The biggest thing he warned them was, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're trying to look. You've got a resident in there. You're messing with him by doing stuff that you're not supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to do this. Then later on in chapter, is it in chapter 7, he advises them, you can't hold yourself. Get married. Kufika sufuna. Like just, but you're telling her you love her to the moon and back. You don't even love her from here to Kamwala. Just fikani baba, lipirani buy a ring. If you want, there's no hard and fast rule. We can engage you today, marry you off the next week. No, we need to raise money for. If you want, you can have a special celebration later. Just come, we can bless you in church. Than you messing up your relationship. Just marry. If you're going to be doing such stuff, then you really don't love your partner. You'd risk them going to hell. I, I, someone needs to redefine love for me then. <laughs> I know you, you. Okay, so he says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Can you imagine? He's trying to say that if you are joined to the Lord, there's a comparison of the passion, the oneness, the intimacy. And he's saying, if you're joined to the Lord, you're one spirit. Hmm. That's big. But you notice that the joining to the Lord, it's, it's, it's deliberate. You have to deliberately relate with him. You have to deliberately uh, grow your fellowship with him. 
That's why the Bible shows us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship. The word there is koinonia. It's oneness. It's, 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 it's oneness. It's intimacy. And ministering to the Lord is one of the easiest ways to improve your intimacy with him. Haven't you seen in the scriptures, in Luke chapter number 7, do you remember that lady? The one who was known in that time as a sinner. Now, this lady must have been deep because, you see, there were all sinners in that day. But the Bible describes her as a sinner. So she was probably a senior senior. She was senior. The quality could have been very high. Let's be honest. And this lady comes before Jesus. And what did she do? She ministered to him. She poured a... Isn't she the one who wiped his feet with her tears and... By the way, there, there are several accounts of that story in the scriptures. And there's an account where she used expensive perfume and ministered to him. And isn't that just amazing? Jesus said the story of the gospel will never be told without her being mentioned. Praise the Lord. I must mention something. I may mention something as I'm teaching, which is like, hey, that area I need to work on. You should be glad I mentioned it. You should be, because it shows how much God loves you. And I'm so glad that once you ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Remember, it's his faithfulness on the line, not yours. And after you're forgiven, the best way to appreciate his forgiveness for you is to live the right way. Praise God. Let's look at another one. Do you know that by ministering to the Lord, you're sowing seeds for future generations? Okay. How many of you have witnessed a case where there are some people being affected by both physically and spiritually? They're being affected by bad decisions that were made maybe by their parents or something. How many of you have seen such a thing? I have. Let's be honest with ourselves. There are people who have dis there are people who've had to fight. There are people who've had to fight certain things because of bad decisions of people years ago, because they had some people who ministered to some spirits. What do you think then will happen if somebody looks up in their generations and there are people who ministered to the Lord? Now, let me show you something. Acts 13 verse, no, let's start it from Genesis 29 verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Next verse. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. There are people who try to do things to make somebody love them, right? Mm -hmm. You find there are cases where someone tries to make somebody's husband make them pregnant because thinking if that happens, then this oh, That's clear. Next verse. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I'm unloved, he has therefore also given me this son also. And she called him Simon. Simeon. Next. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name was Levi. Next. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, <laughs> ah, now this one I want you to read it together. One, two, three, go. Now, here's what's interesting. Out of all the sons, which one was chosen to be the lineage where Jesus will come from? 
Judah is the one who, she praised God without thinking about the husband in that moment. For all the rest, it, it, it had an attachment. <laughs> now, this, this time you said, Judah, now I'll praise the Lord. And in the lineage of Judah came a king called David. Let's say something about him. Acts 13 verse 22. I want to show you that ministering to the Lord can produce generational benefits. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. God gave a testimony about David. Can you imagine his testimony in time in heaven? And God says, now can you imagine God said, um, I've got a testimony. Like, what's the testimony? And he said, I found David, the son of Jesse. Imagine, that was his testimony. Do you remember when David sinned with Bathsheba? Have you ever read his prayer? Have you noticed David didn't say, don't take away the throne, don't take away my kingdom, don't take away the promises. He just says, please don't take your spirit from me. That was his biggest concern. When David described himself at the end of his life, you know, he didn't just, he didn't even mention beating Goliath. He didn't say, didn't David, Goliath. If you read what he said, he said, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Can you see what he treasured? <laughs> Somebody praise God. So, God gave a testimony about David like he's about to give a testimony about you. And he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Next verse. From this man's seed. Which man? David. Where was also David coming from? Judah. <laughs> Somebody praise the Lord. And he says, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will out of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit, hey, there is actually such a thing as sowing in the spirit. Can you imagine? There's actually such a thing as sowing in the spirit. And it says, he who sows to the spirit, who of the spirit reap everlasting life. Can you imagine there's such a thing called sowing in the spirit? God takes notice. God takes note. And we are told something about, we are told something. Give me Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 3. Alice, remember the question you asked me about this scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 3, what does the Bible say? Can you imagine you've been sowing in the spirit? Sowing in the spirit. What are you producing? A cloud. What did Elijah say? Elijah saw, uh, the, the servant came and told Elijah, I see a cloud as small as a man's fist. And what was he doing at that time? He was praying. What was he doing? He was sowing the word God had given him into the spirit. When the clouds are full, they empty themselves. Ministering to the Lord can produce generational blessings. Generational blessings. I'll never forget one of my, one of my good friends, uh, Pastor Daniel, he was praying and he asked God, saying, what's the secret, you know, with, with Apostle Fred? And he had a dream. And in that dream, the Lord came and spoke to him and said, there are two big things that have caused him to, to sow in ministry faster than most people. And one of the things he said is the prayers of his mother. 
I was like, oh, okay. I'm telling you, there are certain things you do that so into the spirit. Who I am now a pastor to. <laughs> Praise the Lord. My dad told me um, the time I was getting born, he was going through quite a rough time. I think he was not working or something like that. And the other thing is that he hated his name because he was born at a funeral, so they named him Masie because at the funeral, Masie. I need to I need to have a word with my grandparents. <laughs> so they named him that, and so he, he he hated his name. He hated introducing himself, and also because it meant that people would now come and address me as hey, hello, Vanava. You get it? Yeah. So now. Apparently, he says he decided in that moment that for me, I would have, of course, in Africa, you had the English one and the other one. So for the other one, he decided, Madaliso, because this one will bring blessings. All those things are seeds in the spirit. <laughs> Praise God. So now, when we make deliberate decisions to minister to the, to the Lord, you never know how many generations will be safe because you decided to lift up your hands. You are saving your generations. You are sowing into the Spirit. So Acts chapter number 20, verse 32. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. The Bible says, do we even need to be displaying this scripture? At the count of three, everybody, one, two, go. Media are funny. Have you noticed they hid it? <laughs> so it says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those that are sanctified. And today I'm focusing on that first part that says I commend you to God because our response to being commended to God is us submitting to God. So when I'm praying, I don't say I commend myself to God. I say I submit to God and to the word of his grace. And so I want to talk a bit about submitting to God, but that's not my title. The title will build up. Give me James chapter 4 verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here is something interesting. God must be submitted to the devil, must be resisted. But it's interesting that the instruction does not begin by being told to resist the devil, then submit to God. There are times we show such fervency, we show such passion when we're dealing with the evil one. But it's not backed up by a passion, firstly, when we're dealing with God. So I'm focusing on that first part, which says submit to God. Submission is closely linked to the concept of servanthood. 
Somebody say servanthood. Say it one more time, servanthood. In short, if you are submitting to someone, you become a servant. You see where this, where this comes in. Let me show you, for example, when the Bible talks about husbands and wives. First Peter chapter 3, verse 5. And by the way, the title of my sermon this morning is Bond Servants of God. Bond servant. Somebody say, I'm a bond servant. Now, look at what it says. Wives are being told to be submissive to their husbands. And then it says, for in this manner and times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Look at the next word. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, so if a person is submissive, they'll be obedient. Calling him Lord. You know what that means? Sarah called Abraham master. What's interesting is in their conversations, I've not seen a scripture where Sarah turned to Abraham and said master. But there's a scripture that shows that in her heart, when that time when she laughed at God, she said, shall I have a child? Oh, my master is odd. Or if you read it from the message translation, with this odd man of a husband. But what I'm saying is submission is of the heart. But you notice that the person she submitted to, she called master. I want you to understand that in this day and age, in that day and age, it was an honor to be someone's servant. How many of you have read the story of Elijah and Elisha? What was the recommendation of Elisha? Someone recommended to the king and said, there's this guy called Elisha. This guy is so privileged that he used to pour water on Elijah's hands. We're talking about bond servants. We read James 1 verse 1. We read 2 Peter 1 verse 1 and Jude 1 verse 1. A stronger word for servant is bond servant. You'll see why. James 1 verse 1. 1, 2, 3. Everybody read. James, a what? Give me Second Peter 1 verse 1. 1, 2, 3, go. A what? What was he? Give me Jude 1 verse 1. One, two, three, go. How many of you know that from the people we've read, um, these people were his disciples. Jesus even called them friends. These are the sons of God. And Jude must have been related to Jesus. And yet, have you observed how they, I, they were so proud to identify themselves as bond servants? So proud to identify themselves as bond servants. 
Imagine, before they even mentioned that they are apostles, they're like, I'm a born servant and apostle. It's like the proudest title they could carry is bond servant. I'm challenging you to become bond servants. Now let me explain in those days what a bond servant was. Among several definitions, one of the major definitions of a bond servant is a person who is someone's slave and then they are given freedom but they make a decision and say, I have refused. So they make a voluntary decision to say, as much as you've given me freedom, I've chosen to be your servant. A person who's made an open, willing decision to be a servant. I'll tell you this. We are sons of God by adoption but we are servants by choice. If you've read the story of the prodigal son, the one who was older, if there is something that he knew well, it was how to serve. He knew how to serve. Probably he had ignored a certain side, the sonship part of which there should be a balance, but he knew how to serve. I'll say it again. We are sons of God by adoption but you become a servant by choice. I'm challenging people to become bond servants today. Now, why am I giving you this challenge? Because Jesus was the ultimate servant. Give me Philippians chapter 2, verse, let's start from verse 7. Verse 5. Are we there? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. This is what the Bible is saying. Look at this teaching. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's a mindset Christ Jesus had. And Paul is saying, all of us should have it. Uh-huh. Who being in the form of God. Maybe we don't understand that statement. Give me the amplified. Who although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, meaning possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God. That's Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God? Look at what he goes on to say. Uh, we can go back to New King James. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In short, for those who may not know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was not junior. He was not junior. That, haven't you seen? It says he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Haven't you seen in the scriptures when Jesus would be spoken to? Have you not seen where he tells them saying, listen to me people. Your father Abraham celebrated when he saw my day. 
And then they're like, you're not even 50 years old and you claim you've seen Abraham. And he replies, before Abraham was, I am. So, with that mindset, with that, with those attributes, notice what he goes on to say. What mindset should we have which he had? It says, but he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Imagine, he lowered himself. Next verse. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death at the cross. So what's the attitude that was in Christ Jesus? He did not he did not sit and just look at the privileges he had as being God. He said, you know what? There is a cause. And for this cause, let me do something about it. And he, and, and, and he lowered himself, took up the form of a bond servant. In short, I will serve you voluntarily. And a bond servant, by the way, cannot quit. A bond servant does not have the ability to quit. That's the mindset that the early apostles had. That's why despite the things that they were going through, they couldn't quit. Quitting was never an option. There was never a meeting where they sat down and asked, should we quit? It was never an option. Because a bond servant does not quit. I'll be very honest with you. The biggest thing that I'm trying to do for me as a believer is build up strong Christians because there's a lot of plasticness going on. I'm talking about plasticness. Uh, when I'm talking about, I mean, I'm talking about plasticness. Somebody's on their way home, a car, a car passes, water spills, and they God, you hate me? Are you serious? As in, you equate God sending Jesus to die for you to a car splashing water on you. Maybe you should have just seen where you were going. I'm just saying, if we are to compare to what those people had to give up for us to be where we are as a church, we are living in a time of great privilege. Some of us are living in places of great privilege. People like Apostle Paul and Peter, probably they were celebrating some birthdays in prison. We are living in a great time of great in a time of great privilege. But doesn't the Bible say to whom much is given, much is expected? So with this great privilege that has been given to you, why don't we take up the form of a servant and serve others? Let's serve God and let's serve others. I'll tell you this. I've was to go down memory lane, all these testimonies you hear, of which there are many, the biggest thing I've just conditioned myself is, come what may, if there's a person in this world who doesn't believe that God has love, they will believe it because I'll just be there for them. I'll just show them love which doesn't need conditions. And if you can do that for people, then at least you're making the world a better place. Most people's view on God is based on an experience they've had with a human being. 
if a person has been brought up and they were taken advantage of. Do you know how many, though some of you have worked with me with the healing campaign, do you know how many times we've had to emphasize to people that we don't charge to go pray for their sick? The first message they usually send us is, so how much would the fee be? How much? They're like, come on guys, we just love you. So you're telling me you're going to drive all the way. We've driven many places. Eh? Um, healing campaign, we save up money as a church and we go to many places. We don't care where they are. We don't ask for transport. We just go and minister to as many people who are not well. And sometimes someone will be like, you drove all the way here. You drove all the way to Chongwe. You drove all the way to this just to come minister to us. There's a way their relationship with God will change. Bond servants. Now, I'll say a few things about a bond servant. If you're going to be a bond servant of Christ, I'll tell you this, every person who's been a bond servant has at some point had to give up a few things. Let me tell you the first thing you have to give up at some point. Common sense. I'm telling you, I know you have to hear me well. You're not going to relate with God through common sense. God is very uncommon. You need to develop Bible sense. God is very, you're not going to relate with God with common sense. That's why I'm glad I met, I met God before I met school. I decide what to believe and what not to. I'm not a student who's a Christian. I'm a Christian who's a student. And for that matter, the theories of the world, trust me, I've studied a lot of them. They disagree with themselves. I don't know. They never agree on anything. You're not going to relate with God from the place of common sense. We had a meeting one time. Some of you were around. And we were having praise and worship during the meeting. It was at Nafisanga Hall and people were going around. Uh, as we were going around, someone fell to the ground. Now, you know, when you are known for certain manifestations, your first question is, is it the power of God? And people came around and I could see from the look of the people next that, ah, something has gone terribly wrong here. And of course, you, you tell everyone, keep praising. And the person was carried, I think, to one of the cars. And I remember reaching there. We checked. There was no pulse. We checked all the things they check. We just didn't want to say it. Hands and feet getting cold. You know what Brother Brain started telling me? <laughs> I already read the headline. Young lady <laughs> dies at overnight. And then we did get a police permit for that overnight. Okay, that's not the point. So, <laughs> I'm just trying to say you're not going to relate with God on the place of common sense. And I said, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> I call you back. And after a short while, we just go, <gasps> and the person could see us because they, had, they could see us from above. They could see what was going on and they were being drawn away. If you're going to be a born servant of God, you have to give up common sense sometimes and go for Bible sense. I'm telling you at some point have to give up some common sense. Now, I, 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 when the Lord 
told me about the city of the Lord Church. Are you? <laughs> Common sense was not to start a church at that point. You know how old I was? I was 21. And pastoring is different from preaching. With pastoring, you cancel their marriages. With pastoring, you do their weddings. With pastoring, you do A, B, C, D. Do you know what common sense said to me in that moment? The things, the things, brother, common sense told me. A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. But you know when God has spoken, and we started in the living room. Some of you were there in the living room, you remember? And we never really had that much of a program. That's how I learned how to play the keyboard, because I was the praise and worship leader when we started. And so I was, we would sing until we were tired. But we were enjoying ourselves. And then the Lord started pushing us for expansion. And we're two years old and you can see how we are growing. As a born servant, when I'm talking about common sense, I'm talking about earthly wisdom. You can't be a born servant of Christ if you still have to debate scriptures with earthly wisdom. You have to give up friends sometimes because your definition of a friend changes for those of you who don't know the best friends are those who you can have quality conversations with and you can judge a friendship by the conversations so if you and your friend are always discussing ah if the first thing your friend does uh, when he sees you is make an immoral comment about a lady that's a very horrible friendship it's, it's, it's horrible it's not edifying whatsoever a bond servant who at some point have to give up money. Um, I remember in my university days, what people considered the bursary for and what we considered the bursary for were two different things. Not so, Chongo. When Chongo's BC comes out, we'd immediately text, uh, we need to hire the whole, we need to do ABCD. You have to give up that. If you're going to be a bond servant, you have to give up. There is this freedom people are looking for, which for me, it's wrapped up in bondage. It's, it's this. I've, I've got my spiritual life, and then I've got my life. And you don't want to be judged as a spiritual person. You want just to be understood as a human being. My friend, you have to give that up if you're going to be a born servant of Christ. You have to accept that for you, everything is spiritual. And the litmus test for anything is what does the scripture say? Praise God. Like, choose to be known as that spiritual guy. Let the people in class nickname you Abusa. Let them start calling you Holy Mary. Whatever, it doesn't matter. That's a born servant of Christ. The one who says, if they say, Why? I can't. Why? You don't say I'm tired. You say I'm born again. I don't do that anymore. A born servant has given himself to the Lordship of Jesus. Isn't that salvation? Doesn't it say you shall confess the Lord Jesus? Have you noticed we don't confess the Savior Jesus, but the Lord Jesus. The Savior has to do with his benefits, but the Lord Jesus has to do with his Lordship, his rulership, his mastering over us. Somebody say, born servant. 
a bond servant, I'll show you one scripture that really, really does it for me. Galatians 1 verse 10. For do I now persuade men? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. If you are still living to please men and not to save them, you will not be a bond servant of Christ. And sometimes it starts with the little things. 